Harrowing adventures, mysterious curses, wars, and tyranny alike are all encapsulated in the world of Ikramar. Paradise Lost is an actual play Dungeons & Dragons 5e podcast, featuring a collection of friends who have all known each other for a seriously long time. With two separate campaigns, we spend a lot of time adventuring and laughing together, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Check out Paradise Lost anywhere you can find podcasts. That's P-A-I-R-O-D-I-C-E-L-O-S-T. Ikramar isn't ready for heroes like these. Hello and welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon, the podcast of Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop RPGs, and nerd culture in general. I'm your host, Mike Daniel, and this week I am being joined by David Stallings of Paradise Lost. David, how are you doing? I am doing well, Mike. I hope you're doing well also. Yeah, doing doing great. Uh, surviving out here in the uh, vast hellscape of 2021 but you know <laughs> yep absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh, but no thanks for coming on to the show today uh david why don't you uh tell me and tell my listeners a little about your yourself here and kind of what uh, what brings you onto the show today yeah absolutely so first i'm really appreciative uh, and excited to be on the show with you i appreciate you letting me be on here uh so yeah i am i I'm David Stallings. I am the dungeon master for an actual play uh, Dungeons and Dragons series called Paradise Lost, which the you can there's links for that in the description. <laughs> in uh, the description, absolutely. In, yeah, uh, we run we run multiple campaigns. Uh, earlier this year, uh, in February, we finished up the uh, Our Curse of Strahd campaign. Uh, we we post videos of. We've posted all the videos for that on our YouTube channel, which folks can subscribe to. That would be a huge support for us. But we also have a podcast, and that features both the Curse of Strahd campaign as well as a homebrew campaign called Lestrodia. Uh, we have an upcoming recap series coming out to celebrate our one-year anniversary soon uh, for the Barovia campaign, as well as we will be re- beginning a new uh, campaign and posting videos of that on our YouTube channel as well. So we're all over the place, but ultimately, uh, going to going and subscribing on YouTube would be a huge help. Checking us out on on our podcast anywhere you can get podcasts, uh, all of that, and it's a lot of fun. We do we're kind of crazy, and we are a bunch of really close friends who've been playing for a long time. So uh, yeah, for sure, that's I, what I, I do. Say, yeah, no, I definitely think the. Um y'all show has that energy or that vibe like you you got y'all all all know each other very well and seem like you can all play off of each other very well yeah Um, and you'll record everything in in person too correct yep yeah we do ever we have managed to even through the craziness of everything over the past uh year and all that we Mm -hmm. managed to create a, a good and safe setup for us that we're still continuing to use where we record in person every week uh so we still which is really important to me because mm-hmm. we i really care about the there's just a whole different personality of the game when everyone's at the table together absolutely yeah uh, 
And uh, that was these were all brand new players originally. They're all really close friends of mine. And I really wanted them to get that full experience. So luckily, mm-hmm. we were able to continue doing that. So it's that's uh, excellent. I, I know that some folks who watch really enjoy just the fact of seeing some people at the table together uh, messing around. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a ton of fun. <laughs> for sure. No, it, I mean, it definitely kind of fills that void for me as well, as since I haven't been able to have people, you know, around the table in person. There's a certain energy that is uh, present there that's not necessarily there. It, I mean, it's it, it can be cultivated in like online play, but uh, there's a little bit of difference for sure. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, certainly miss that and and seem and and, and uh, get that that sense or that that feeling that I have been lacking from watching y'all show or listening <laughs> to the show there. So. Right. So yeah. we we're really happy that we've been able to keep on doing that, and we're going to continue doing that until we get tired of Dungeons and Dragons, which will probably be never. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, just play D and D all the time, please. All that's, all that's the time. I if I could play yeah. every single day, I would. But I'm usually the DM, <laughs> yeah. so I would be exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. It, it certainly can be exhausting. Um, yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, awesome as well that you're able to kind of keep two campaigns spinning at the same time for, for your shows here. I know the... Um, uh, Ravenloft or Strahd campaign is wrapped up now, but you guys have, or y'all have, um, other things going on there and, um, you know, been doing this other, like, it's like a, more of a homebrew campaign, the second one that you, you have going, right? Yeah, the Lestrodia campaign is uh, an entirely homebrew. I've been working on building my own world for the past, like, three years now, and this is okay. one of awesome. the, this is one of the uh, nations of it called Lestrodia. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, that one is a very, it's a very high magic, uh, very chaotic campaign. And my players are the <laughs> special halfling unit, uh, which is Excellent. hilarious. Uh, so yeah, that one's entirely homebrew and it's probably the most, it's probably the most intense and craziest, uh, campaign I've ever run, uh, because mm-hmm. I went into it with a mindset of like, we're just, we're going to mess around with a one shot. And so that's mm-hmm. been the personality of the entire time. And then it was like, okay. we can't stop here. We're going to keep going. Uh, <laughs> as, so. as one shots often tend to do. So. Correct. Well, yeah. I accidentally created just like a world ending encounter at the end. And we were like, we, we can't, <laughs> we can't leave it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used, I used a table from the dungeon master's guide on like, uh, here's okay. how the build, here's how the build like a random one shot. I was just trying uh-huh. it. And then it was like, what's the thing that it could lead up towards and one of them was like catastrophic world ending results and i'm like sure sure whatever <laughs> whatever okay. this yeah, could happen and then it. It, I, I was like this could happen sure and then it did and my players were like david we david i know this was meant to be a one shot but we can't we there's no way we can stop there and i'm like that's right. fair that's okay. fair that's yeah. my own fault <laughs> yep nice um but the the one that's so yeah, we had the Curse of Strahd one, but I put Barovia into my homebrewed world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the campaign that's coming up uh, is a continuation from that that will be entirely homebrewed uh, with uh, consequences and results from the Curse of Strahd campaign, uh, mm-hmm. which Excellent. I find I find very interesting when you can expand on the adventure modules a little bit more. Yeah, um, a- absolutely. Yeah. So I'm 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 excited. I love this game and I love DMing. Uh, so. I'm just happy I have enough time to DM two campaigns. <laughs> yeah, very, very fortunate for sure. 
Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, that that really leads us into our topic of conversation today is, you know, the uh, sort of the kind of the core principles or our advice behind um, building and running, maintaining, managing your own campaigns as a DM. You know, we've I've talked on the show about one shots and, uh, you know, with uh, other folks about like how to fill up the world with characters yeah. and things along those lines. But, you know, I haven't really had the chance to sit down and talk with another DM about a long running campaign. So mm -hmm. super excited to do that. Um, I think uh, I and and from what I, I understand from our conversation earlier today as well for for you there, David, you know, we, we both kind of seem to be a little bit of like a uh, a unicorn in the D&D &D world and uh -huh. that we've actually taken campaigns all the way up to 20th level. Yeah. Um, and kind of prefer to do that with with the stories that we tell if, if we can. Right. So absolutely. Um, it's it's something of a rarity, it seems, uh, in the D and D and tabletop RPG space in, in general to take a campaign kind of all the way through the highest like max level for for characters. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely I try and I try and do that for every campaign or like every campaign that I try and that I start writing. I try and keep in mind I want to get to level twenty. I want to take my players there. Because mm -hmm. you're building that character, there's a whole progression for it that they can get to. That's their top potential, uh, mm -hmm. and people that it's so rare. <laughs> so I want to show that to my to my friends, my players. I want them to be able to get there. But I would only st I would only try not to do that if a pl if my players were like, we're growing tired of our characters. We think we're mm -hmm. coming to an end. Let's. Right. I think we're ready for something else. And I told I totally would respect that and be like, yeah, sure. But I'd also yeah, be like absolutely. level 20 is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh but yeah. yeah. We are continuing I'm continuing that theme. My my players already know that I have plans to take them all the way to level 20 for both campaigns. Mm -hmm. Um we have one that's level one the Lustrodia campaign is currently level uh 13 and then the the, with the end of our Curse of Strahd campaign, those characters were level nine. Uh, okay. So we got time for both of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, lot, lots of fun things to explore and lots of uh, mischief to get your players into, especially at those higher levels, man. It can get super chaotic. Uh, yeah. In like, what are they called? Like tiers, you know, three and, and four there for sure. So Yeah. Well, that's what I've been. I, I keep those those tiers in mind a lot mm -hmm. as I'm going mm -hmm. through it because they like they're very helpful in driving what to do and mm -hmm. I'm I personally am just a very ambitious person so I look through the monster manual and the more than kindness tome of foes and I see all these mm -hmm. crazy creatures and I'm like this is why I play the game because I want to <laughs> fight right I want to run these things mm -hmm. I want to I want to fight these things these are cool <laughs> um and so that's why that's one of the reasons I'm like we can we can get there we can go all the way to uh, level twenty it's fine yeah for sure <laughs> yeah we're gonna fight some insanely powerful monsters and yep <laughs> horrible abominations and eldritch evils and demon princes and all that stuff so yeah it's great it's um, perfect <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, David, let me ask you, you know, when it comes to initiating that process, like you're sitting down, you're thinking, okay, I want to have a campaign that's going to go all the way up to level 20. Like, how do you how do you get started with that? Where's your your step one coming in from? I think the so I think I have the luxury of I've been building a world for a while. And so mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. how things work, how things work in the history that I want to develop. But because mm-hmm. I know the history, I know the things that could develop from that. So like certain gods may be working on some kind of mischief or certain primordial entities. Like mm-hmm. there's there there's empty space. I intentionally leave empty space when building the world so that eventually I can come back to it and be like, oh, let's mm-hmm. fill that in. Um, I think it's step, I think the, a good first step, uh, when you're not when you're starting the campaign, but when you're thinking about how to get to that end, I think mm-hmm. a good first step is really analyzing the characters that your players have presented to you because, mm-hmm. yeah. You want if you if you analyze them, you can think about okay, where do I what parts of the backstories do I really want to set up? Because by the time they get to the end of the campaign, at mm-hmm. that point, in my opinion, the backstory stuff should be solved. They are mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. best the best point in that character's life where they've completed the things they set out to do. They're recognized throughout the universe, basically close to mm-hmm. that at least. Um, and they are the only people who can complete this thing. So you want to walk them through already those backstories that they've, that they've presented to you. And then through those, depending on what happens, uh, you can then... That gives you some good material to start working with and molding into something else. What can mm-hmm. develop from these backstories that my players presented to me? And that's always fun, too, because it can be like mm-hmm. they just presented some... Some craziness, and then you can take that to the next level. And by the time right. they recognize what's happened, they're like, "Oh my gosh, David <laughs> is crazy! He yeah. took my backstory, and now it's the world-ending boss." What? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I didn't mean for that. <laughs> like, I think yeah. look, I think when you're first, when you decide that you want to go to that end, I think looking at the players, the characters that you have in front of you first is a mm-hmm. really good place to start because sometimes your players will give you something that you wouldn't have thought of and that will stir something in your head and you're like, oh, I could really build off of this. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could really build off of that. Um, and that's really helpful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, when it comes to concepting the the campaign, like the sort of character driven aspect of it is is absolutely vital. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I say this because my very first campaign that I made way back when I was playing 3.5, uh, maybe, you know, t- I guess it was probably about 15 or so, 10 to 15 years ago now, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. I don't remember exactly when. Time is meaningless. Um, Correct. But... <laughs> In the in the long long ago, when I was playing with uh, uh, playing three point five and and started up my first campaign, I I kind of did what what you uh, mentioned actually as well. Like I I had created my whole world and I had this sort of central story um, that I was wanting to tell with this world, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't really take 
the uh, the player aspect of it into account. I was mm-hmm. more focused on like having like a story driven like campaign like you know the the player characters are going to interact with the world and yeah we're going to explore their backstories and figure out their you know their own personal uh messes um but you know ultimately i had this story that i was trying to get them all on board with and sort of not railroad them necessarily i gave them plenty of options but it's like you know our goal the goal for that was to find atlantis and discover what had happened to Atlantis essentially that sank it and it because of that ultimately end up saving the world from this other problem and these other people who were trying to get there too and use the power in Atlantis to destroy everything essentially yeah yeah um and like it was it was great and that's a you know even talking about that now I'm like oh yeah that was a pretty good idea that I had uh for a story but (laughs) and I'm just gonna pat myself on the back for that real quick Um, but uh (laughs) of course it didn't really yeah, it didn't really like the player characters were sort of inconsequential to that story, right? And right, um, the story was it, already going to happen with or without them, essentially. Right. right, regardless of what character choices they made at you know level one, like I had the story in place, and and I feel like a lot of the um, the published Wizards of the Coast modules that's sort of the the stick for them as well is like this is a story and this is you know these events are going to happen in your yeah. campaign and you're just gonna try and you know plop your characters into this this story here yeah um, uh, and that's you know that's one way to do it as well but I definitely think there's a lot more uh, that can be parsed out and a lot more interesting. Uh, things that can happen when you are coming from a place of like it character driven campaign yeah. and character first rather than story first. So I did with my first campaign, I did I I did the exact same thing too. Mm-hmm. And that's why now when I'm when I was like, you look at the characters first. Because yeah. when I first ran my when I first really got into D D and started creating a world and everything and like just trying stuff out and I got my friends together to try it. Like I already had the story written and mm-hmm. or like the yeah. main elements for me. of yeah. it. And mm-hmm. so when my friends started like really getting into it and were like telling me about backstories and stuff, it was like, okay, cool. I love this. But in my head as well, and I feel bad for this. This is why mm-hmm. I really recommend with like look at the backstories, look at the characters that you have because mm-hmm. they would give them mm-hmm. they would give me stuff and I'd be like, okay, cool, I will use something from this if it's necessary. It was more right. like mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. I already have the story in place. Your players are or your characters are already there in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And so we didn't really get to flesh much of their their personal stories out. And yeah. it was still fun. It, we had a great yeah. time. But what I understand now about the game is that you can have an even better time if you make the game even more personal for them. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You, you make those backstory things matter to the larger story that you're trying to tell. Yeah. Um, and I, I did sort of the same thing. I would sort of use the character backstories as like side quests. Right. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really impact the story or the quote-unquote main quest right um which was you know i I guess like that is sort of like uh the video game player in me right is like (laughs) i'm putting together this like game so it's it's you know this 
RPG is a story that I'm trying to tell as the, like the game exists in my head and I'm trying to make that happen right. rather than, or, you know, tabletop RPGs being what they should is like a collaborative storytelling aspect and what mm-hmm. is a lot more interesting and, uh, you know, dynamic and a lot more fun is if you involve the the players in the uh the the story that you're telling like their their backstories are relevant to this larger story or their goals or you know whatever maybe they're trying to uh make good on a a debt or they have a secret that they've been keeping from everybody and we're going to find a way to flesh that out as the story is unfolding as a whole rather than we're going to sidetrack away from the main story to do this thing with the player. And then we'll sort of get back on the rails of the main story. Yeah, absolutely. So that's like, I totally, I totally agree with that. You want to like, I like having the side quests for them too, if that comes up, but Mm -hmm, I, I, I like it a lot more when I can really, when their backstories and their issues for their characters doesn't seem like a hindrance on the story itself Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. actually a part of it and we get to go we're gonna go in we're gonna get into it because it's very Mm -hmm. relevant to the main story overall um we we have some stuff like that happening in the next campaign that we're uh gonna be posting soon the where we're starting to see like we're at a point now where like other other people from the backstories are starting to show up and it's uh uh like old friends that some of the characters had mentioned to me of like my character has this friend in this contact Mm -hmm. and it's like well i've already started planting seeds of like we're gonna meet them we're gonna talk with Mm -hmm. them soon and there's gonna be Mm -hmm. stuff going on uh that's relevant to what you guys are dealing with um and i think that's really cool when you can when you can bring it the story in like that with the backstories but there's also the the flip side too where i've I've had campaigns and characters as well where they're we're just messing around and not much mm-hmm. of a backstory was presented, but mm-hmm. we're still going through it. And so that that is a very fun idea because that's the kind of campaign where you can just mm-hmm. be like what we were talking about earlier of like, well, my players are okay with it. They just mm-hmm. want to play. They just want to enjoy the story with us. Right. And that gives you the total freedom of, okay, I have a full story in mind. It's gonna happen mm-hmm. with or without them, in a in a sense, right? Um, right. And we get to expand on that. That's what's happening with our Lestrodia campaign right now, and that's nice. That is, of that is both very fun and also a daunting challenge because you don't mm-hmm. get any reference, you don't have backstories to refer to. It's all you. Uh, mm-hmm. So you get to draw inspiration from what you want. You get to expand on portions of the world that you want. Uh, but mm-hmm. it can be a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, honestly, that's one of the things that I have liked about running some of the uh, like official published campaign modules is that, you know, I don't have to do as much of the prep work myself. A lot of that yeah. is already done for me. So I can, you know, I have all of the pieces there and then it's sort of up to me to figure out how we're going to put all of that together yeah. rather than I'm having to come up with every single thing about this campaign and every single <laughs> yeah. dungeon or every single adventure, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I, you know, you mentioned earlier that you, y'all are, uh, building off of the, 
the Strahd campaign for a whole new campaign yourself as well. And that's definitely yeah. something that I really enjoy doing too. I think the last, uh, like not this current campaign that I have going, but the, I guess three previous ones before that I had run um, Wizards of the Coast, like modules. I ran the Tyranny of Dragons and then I ran Storm King's Thunder and then most recently ran um, Descent to Avernus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of them are, are really great and provide like a lot of different different things that I enjoy about D&D. But uh, what I did with each of them was once we had gone through the whole story from the book, it's like, well, the characters are left with, you know, several levels left to get before they get to 20. Right. Um, and we've really been focusing on the story up to this point. So let's take a look at the characters themselves and their backstories and their goals and things like that and see how we can use that and maybe weave together a singular story that will take them the rest of the way up to level 20. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and that's also helpful to use the adventure modules too. If you have mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. if you have brand new character or brand new players, uh, who like they're not real they want to play they want to try it but they don't they're like when they're building the character they don't really know what they're building quite yet so they don't Mm -hmm, go into a backstory or anything and you can be like okay well let's play this campaign and let's develop it let's see how this character starts to turn out this happened with several of my players in the curse of Strahd campaign where we were just going through it and then Mm -hmm. we start talking more about the characters and they're like, okay, I'm understanding them more. And David, can we talk more Mm -hmm. about this, this potential backstory and this potential like event that happened to my character and stuff like that. And so that's the adventure modules I think are really useful in helping the players if to help them get a grasp on who they are, on who the character Mm is. Um, and so, like, through the, like, even halfway through the Curse of Strahd campaign, I was like, yeah, we're going to play more after the campaign. We're going to go into my world. But we still didn't know all the details about these characters yet. Mm-hmm. And so it's right. still, like, we were continuing to develop that through the whole thing. And by the end of the campaign, we had a, a very good understanding of each of the characters at that point. And that gave me a lot of tools to start building a, a new campaign for them to go into. And new themes based on what had happened, uh, so that's why yeah, that's why I think the adventure. I think that's one of the big uh, like pros of using an adventure module. Uh, mm. First off, it's less prep as a DM, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is always nice. But uh, mm-hmm. second, like it it can be a useful tool for the players too, because it's like again, uh. these events are going to transpire regardless. So. Put them in, put right. them in the circumstances. Let's see how they react to everything. And by mm-hmm. the end, let's see what they turn into. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely um, want to pick something out of what, what you said there of the this idea of character discovery um, as they are leveling up and as the, your players are getting more familiar with their own characters as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't expect your players to have a you know fully fleshed out backstory or know every single aspect about their characters at the beginning. Yeah. Um you you should and and your campaign should as well, you know, leave room for discovering a lot of these things. And as they are discovering things and making choices themselves as as players and as a party, then you can kind of use that to adapt what you had planned for the future. Right. So yeah. um 
you know, maybe not everything is set in stone. And, and even if you are using like a, you know, published module, you still have the, uh, the ability as the DM to, uh, to make choices about what you're going to be doing with the characters within that module. Right. So, yeah. um, leaving, leaving that room for, um, collaboration really from the, the character, from the players and their characters. And then you as the sort of primary storyteller as the GM or DM or whatever, yeah. um, to figure out, well, where all of that's going to go. Right. Absolutely. And I, I like how you said it with both sides of the table should leave room for discovery, the DM and the players. So like when you're building your world, I specifically like I will I, I will create a location and then not go. I won't go into any detail about it because mm-hmm. I'm like, I want that. I have a general idea of what it is. I'm going to wait mm-hmm. until I actually right. need it and then flesh it out for the current circumstances. Uh yeah, because absolutely. I want the world, I want the world that they're going through to be catered to my players and the mm-hmm. the circumstances mm-hmm. that they would find difficult or or thrive in. What do I want to utilize this location for? So, like my world, I have all the locations in it. There might mm-hmm. be more eventually, and I have general ideas, but I will build them further when we get to each of these places. Uh, I think that's a good mindset for everyone at the table to have of like, I don't know everything about what I'm running, <laughs> but <laughs> right. I'm going to discover it. I'm going to learn as we go. This happened with one of, mm-hmm. with one of my players during our Curse of Strahd campaign where he was a bard and decided he came to me and he's like, this happened with him researching more about the game, understanding it more. And he's like, David, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to multi-class into a cleric eventually. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Okay, yeah, I thought I was like, okay, he wanted to do trickster domain, and we talked a bit about that. And mm-hmm. but what I really focused on with him was like, okay, we can do this, but I want you to consider as a bard transitioning to a cleric. What's mm-hmm. the what's the progression gonna be like for that? Your character is mm-hmm. not religious currently. Right. How do you? Who's the god you want this to result in? Uh, and like. Just like you will have a new faith in that person, and so we had a whole discussion on how that would look. And he's like, when we made a decision on how on how, like what god it would be, I was like, okay, I will take mm-hmm. I will take the reins on this. I know what level you're planning to multi class at, so we will execute this by then, uh, and we will develop that as we go. So there's a whole side story that was happening in our campaign where every now and then this character was being visited by. Uh, some entity within his dreams and mm-hmm. then was being reached out to as words were appearing on a book that he had. Um, nice. And so we didn't start the campaign with that idea. I didn't write it mm-hmm. into Curse of Strahd of like, someone's going to be reached out to the, by this God. I didn't have that idea ever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like uh, my player discovered, Hey, this is something I want to do. I think this mm-hmm. would be cool. And that's like just an out-of-game thing. He wanted to multi-class, which I'm down right, with. Right. I, don't, I don't care how you want to build the character, but I wanted it to make sense as a story, too. Mm-hmm. So that right. was a whole different element of the campaign that I didn't go into it with that idea. And it turned out to be this really cool uh, side arc that was happening in the midst of the campaign. And when it came to fruition, the result of that was so satisfying for all of us. As we finally got to unveil to everyone what had happened, what was transpiring 
Uh, mm-hmm. As he was suddenly next level, he was a cleric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So <laughs> that was that was in the in the vein of let, letting the world be loose in a way that you can mm-hmm. discover things as you go. Uh, that was really that was really fun <laughs> to do, and it was just an example that I remember that I think really applies to that. Yeah, absolutely, and um, I think that's that's something that um, you know I've been working on with my current campaign as well. I, I know we were talking a little bit about it before we started recording, but um, I've I've been running an Eberron campaign, and this is the first time in a while, probably since my first yeah since my first campaign that I've really sat down to like build a campaign from start to finish, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I don't have like a module or a, you know pre-written story that I'm leaning on I decided to really lean into the characters uh the character goals yeah. um figure out what it was that they wanted you know what and, and something that's really neat about Eberron I've talked about it on a couple of other uh episodes as well as these uh the the debts and regrets Okay. Um, and those sort of aspects of the characters that, you know, maybe they want to atone for something or they're trying to pay off this this debt that they have um, and just finding unique ways to um, sort of sprinkle in aspects of those those storylines as they're the, the players are continuing through their story. Right. Because I, yeah. I do have something of a main storyline that I've put together myself, but a lot of that is sort of weaving the narrative together from what the players are, are doing and what they're they're after as well. Yeah. Um, so just knowing that, oh, well, I have this, our, you know, our cleric has this uh, he's being blackmailed by somebody because of something that happened in his past. And, you know, no, none of the other players really know what's going on there, but he and I have talked enough about it and I, I know who's doing it and all of that. So I'm sort of peppering in these uh, bits of intrigue for him to start to unravel this mystery and get this person off of his back, more or less. Yeah. Um, but just sort of leading, leaving the little uh, breadcrumbs of a trail, right? So he right. he can follow after that. And meanwhile, the rest of the party is like seeing some of these interactions or maybe seeing him disappear for a while when the, his blackmailer is going to show up to extort him more. Right. Um, and then he comes back and they're like, oh, what, what's been going on? Like, oh, yeah, just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I, I look forward to all of those those small threads that are there to start to all weave together um yeah. as as the story is coming coming more unified right so yeah absolutely i i i did something i like the debts and regrets uh concept from eberron i really like that i did something it's fantastic i did something unique recently with the backstories too I, on the note of like you had mentioned that there are these threads coming together and the rest of the players uh, at the table are like, what's going on? They don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, I did something different recently where, so most of the Curse of Strahd campaign was was like that, where people had stuff going on, people were having dreams about stuff and uh, a, a running joke mm-hmm. was like, everyone at the table was getting dreams except for one character. And so <laughs> he's like, well, I had a great night's sleep, so... <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> I had a great Excellent. night's sleep. I don't know what's wrong with all of you. Uh, right. But one of the things that I did recently was based on a uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, dire circumstance. Uh, they like were in this illusory uh, initiation, basically, and they mm-hmm. got to see memories playing out for each of the characters. Oh, okay. And uh-huh. so it was the first time uh, these characters have been together for a while now. They're treated as mm-hmm. heroes and they're a group together. But this was the first time that some of these things were coming out. This was the first mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. that heavy elements of people's backstories were being put on display, living out mm-hmm. in front of them. Uh, and it was this, it was, I didn't, I didn't think about how this was going to affect the group at first. But it was, mm-hmm. even though they had went through this terrible circumstance with Strahd and all of this, all of that stuff, this was probably one of the most unifying moments of our campaign where they all realized just the craziness and the hardship that each of them has gone through before they met as they mm-hmm. actually got to learn. They were basically forced to learn each other's uh, backstories. It was okay. a very interesting uh, circumstance that I wasn't ex- that kind of fell into my lap <laughs> as we ran through it, uh, mm-hmm. and it was a it was a different take because usually with the campaigns you let the you kind of let the backstories some of them you let these secrets continue to fester and people are like mm-hmm. oh my gosh what's going on and suddenly it was just mm-hmm. all out there all of the stuff everything's out. on the table for everybody everything's yeah. on the table and it's like oh wow where what do we do with that (laughs) yeah it was a very interesting experience and that's just like i bring that up as like that's something to consider too Mm -hmm. if you don't want to if you don't want to deal with the secrets at the table not that they're bad but Mm -hmm. if you want people in on it this was one of the most unifying events to happen for our group i realized and i hadn't seen that in a campaign before um where they're basically awesome. forced yeah. to live this out, and now it's at it's on the table. The characters can talk about it because they mm-hmm. are they already know a little bit now. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's something to consider because with the backstory stuff, you end up when you're doing a slow burn for the reveals. Again, there's mm-hmm. all these secrets at the table. I think sometimes I might use this in the future of like sometimes you just you got to put you got to present the circumstances where the backstories are just out they're just all out there yeah you got to have that that catalyst to uh let everybody get everybody on kind of on the same page with yeah. all of like with all all with each other yeah no that's that's fascinating um and i a, as you were talking about that i was starting to put together ideas for how i could do similar things in in my own eberron campaign absolutely um, now that i because ultimately all of these people are going to end up sharing their secrets um i hope <laughs> but uh i need to find ways to sort of you know uh carry that along so to speak so yeah and i definitely don't want everyone to kind of get burnt out on you know oh we're all keeping secrets from each other so now we can't fully trust each other <laughs> right. right like you need to have that sort of unified sense at at the table as well so yeah um, Luckily yeah. for us, it was turning into just a running gag, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, but uh, this was, it turned out well because going into this next campaign, uh, it was helpful because it's like, 
now they're really in this together. The secrets are kind of out. There's still more to learn, but mm-hmm. after everything they've been through, it was a catalyst for me to use where like we're putting things out. We're going to put these things out there now. They can expand on them soon, but now people have an idea uh, and they're even closer because of it. Uh, which is something I wanted to do. I wanted to, the group is already close, but I wanted to tie mm-hmm. them together even more. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. now, like I said, I'm, I'm thinking of ways that I can incorporate that into my own, uh, game now because, uh, yeah, all of our players, all of my players have their own secrets. So yeah, by uh, all means, it's figure out what to do. It is fascinating sure. already. So I'm really excited yeah. to see how it plays out even more as there's more stuff to be revealed soon. Cool. Well, so I want to, you know, we t- we've talked about sort of putting together a uh, a concept. I, you know, I think something that is um, also important when it comes to sitting down and figuring out, you know, what the campaign is going to look like is, you know, f- finding or uh, figuring out who your big bad evil guy is, right? That BBEG yeah. and their, their sort of Either they they have a goal, and this is something that you had mentioned as well. Is like maybe there's some evil powers or a god or something that's doing something in and their own uh, has their own like machinations going on. Yeah, and I think that's that is something that's absolutely vital to figure out um, in in your own in everyone's campaign as well, right? Because there's yeah. got to be some sort of an- antagonist that's pushing against the party, whether they immediately know it or or not, right? So. Right. Um, I guess do you do you have any um any any tips for our listeners as far as like how to create like maybe some some interesting um you know plots or plans for a a, a big bad or some sort of uh thing that you like to uh to put to you know put together some some uh, aspects that you like to weave together for for your your big bads in in your own campaigns? Yeah, so you know, it's it's tough when you actually want to, when you're planning to take a group to level 20 too, because mm-hmm. as fun as it is, it also means that as the DM, like there's there's good creatures to use in the books, but more often mm-hmm. than not, it ends up being a homebrewed thing by the end, at least in my mm-hmm. experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you got to be really creative on what that's going to look like. Uh, For sure. Because you can, it's going to be, if you're following the tier system, where by mm-hmm. the end of the game, they should be heroes of the universe. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a heavy, that, something heavy has to happen, right? Right. Um, so one of the things that I've found is really useful. So every campaign that I do uh, is a new country or a new nation. Mm, okay. That uh, mm-hmm. I have a massive world that I have areas that I've started to flesh out. And there's all these different countries and different continents all over the place. And every campaign, Mm -hmm. I pick one, and we start diving into it. And I figure out what are the most important things, what what is most valued in this place. So, Mm, for for instance, uh, our Lestrodia campaign, Lestrodia is a magocracy. Uh, It is an island elven nation. Uh, okay. Magocracy with a council of members, uh, each member being the master or mistress of one school of magic. Um, okay. And the biggest thing about it is uh, ev- everyone, or most people, w- worship the goddess Mistra. 
the nation is dedicated to it. There's legends mm-hmm. that she walked across Lestrodia and made all of these islands her different labs, uh, created the islands for each of the schools of magic uh, so that she could focus in each place. And mm-hmm. so because of that, I start pulling from that idea. What what could I use from those values that could turn the world upside down? So I start Mm -hmm. diving more into the lore of Mistra specifically. Mm -hmm. I start diving more into the history with her. What are some, are there secrets that have been festering? Was there some kind of villain that she had put down at some, Mm -hmm. at some point was, did, did she leave something behind that no one has found? Like, Mistra, if something were involved with her or how the schools of magic were built or something like that, that would have very lasting impacts on the world. And so Mm -hmm. you can develop some kind of bad guy that comes from this. Is someone trying to dig something up? Is someone trying to find some kind of item that she had? Uh, Things of that nature. And I'm being like... I'm being vague because you can really mm-hmm. you you want to find that value in a place mm-hmm. and then exploit it <laughs> and that could be anything <laughs> right yeah absolutely that, that could be anything you create this cool world and you get to really flesh out all these things and by the end of the campaign you want to have the possibility of things being completely turned upside down uh so I think so that's with Lestrodia. That's a huge thing for it. I built it up with Mistra in mind, and there's elements mm-hmm. of her history that I am expanding on as we go through. Uh, and then, like with our Rauda campaign, which is the other one following Curse of Strahd, another example is that uh, a huge thing here is it. They put a lot of weight on people who are considered heroes. Uh, Okay. As Rauda is a place that every it's a it's a nation that is constantly on the brink of a civil war while also and everyone knows it but there's no way to leave. All of the all of the possible paths to leave the country are thwarted by natural uh natural or unnatural craziness. Um okay. And so there are these heavy elements of uh, of heroism, but also hopelessness through that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how does that... Perfect aff- place for Ravenloft to get dropped in. Absolutely. Right. So <laughs> I, I used basically one of the routes was blocked mm-hmm. by uh, Barovia. Barovia okay. was one of these routes. The fog was around it. Anytime someone went mm-hmm. tried to go through, they, could, they never came back. <laughs> Um, right, because you can't leave, uh, mm-hmm. and so with the completion of Curse of Strahd, they that path away from Rauda has been opened, and so mm-hmm. it's through that possibility that now you start thinking about okay, the world is the world is hopeless. There's never been a way out before. Now there is. Mm-hmm. Is there someone, or is there someone or something that's going to be upset about that? Mm-hmm. Or is it someone that's going to try and take advantage of that? That's a place to start. Or then you have these other these other threads of like the hopelessness that's been happening. Do, how mm-hmm. are if there's so much weight on the heroes in your in your world? Why is there so much weight on that? 
And how mm-hmm. is the hopelessness affecting them? And there can be underlying things of maybe something is causing the hopelessness or maybe someone wants this persona of like there's heroes everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a, those elements, those themes of my world are what's driving me towards specific bad guys towards the end. Because you don't just mm-hmm. – you, mm-hmm. you want to think about the long-term bad guy at the very end. You also right, need right. bad guys intermittent. <laughs> Along the way, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All the people that are working for them and, you know, co- accomplishing their tasks along the way as well. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think it's most important to identify who the very last one is because then mm-hmm. you can work mm-hmm. backwards. This is how, right. I, this is how it, it, I usually do it where I find out who is the final bad boss. And mm-hmm. then I work backwards through it and I can develop, well, who, who's the person underneath them? Who's the person underneath them? And that way, right. your story is constantly building towards this one, per- this one thing at the very end. So there's, mm-hmm. you can start doing all this foreshadowing throughout it because you have the goal in mind at the very mm-hmm. end, uh, which it has made my campaigns. They've felt uh, very intense. But also, mm-hmm. like, there was a goal the whole time. Right. You don't want them to have a campaign where your players are like, we're just, we're just kind of wandering until the next thing happens. <laughs> right. Just It's just a series of adventures that aren't linked together at all. They're right. just kind of things happening, and the players are there to take care of it. Right. Exactly. I'm not a huge fan of those campaigns. But ultima- right. ultimately, those two examples, I think you have to really identify what's important to your world. And then mm-hmm. think about how someone would exploit it. Um, mm-hmm. Those are that's really helped me when creating campaigns. Um, another thing that happens for me sometimes is I'll draw inspiration. I draw inspiration from music a lot, um, mm-hmm. and so for sure, uh, like one of the things that happened with Lestrodia is um, like sometimes I'll be writing up a session and I'll start daydreaming and there's just like random imagery that starts coming up and mm-hmm. it's not related to what I'm working on at the moment, but there's something happening in it. And so I try to peer more into that. What is happening? What is this scene that I'm looking at right mm-hmm. now? Try and put the figures in there. Who is this person that's now showing up in the scene? Who like what's their importance and all of that? Um, and mm-hmm. like trying to put this scene together that's building in my head <laughs> that I wasn't, uh, that's at the moment is nothing. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but that has been, when you start daydreaming like that, uh, that can be really helpful of sitting down and focusing on it, writing down what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because mm-hmm. what I do, uh, when building my campaigns is I focus on when I know main elements that I'm going through. I know the main elements that I'm going through because I know specific scenes that uh, are going to happen eventually. Right. Um, where I already I've already have the scene imagined. I know like some big crazy thing that's going to happen. I've written it out on that scene when I'm going to describe it to my players, and then you can start working. Well, how do we get there? What's the plan to get there with each time mm-hmm. that you do that? Uh, so mm-hmm. I do like I. This is part of being a as a systems engineer for a bit, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I'm very big picture. I get the very big picture at the end of it, and I start working mm-hmm. backwards, basically. 
Uh, so those are those are the that's what I have found to be helpful uh, mm-hmm. when building my adventures and campaigns, and I've had really good luck with it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I think you know, oddly, I do sort of a similar uh, thing where you know I maybe looking through the monster manual or just reading up on like lore in the setting. Cause I, I haven't done my own world building in, in quite a while I'd been in forgotten realms and now I'm in Eberron. So mm-hmm. um, I have a lot of uh, there's a, a lot there to draw inspiration from. Right. So yeah. you can look through some of those, those heavy hitter powers, like the, you know, maybe some, some gods or some ancient forgotten evils that have been locked away or, you know, long ago, uh, civilizations that had crumbled or uh, things along those lines there and just kind of get a sense of, okay, well, you know, w- which of these are sort of standing out to me? What do I think is going to be something interesting to build a campaign around? Yeah. And then kind of similar to what you said is like, you know, figuring out what that entity wants. Yeah. Uh, so, some Something of value that they are trying to get after. Uh, or some sort of status for themselves. Maybe it's, you know, I have this uh, demi-lich that is, uh, this is something that I actually used in one of my campaigns. Okay. I had this idea for a, uh, a demi-lich that was actually a demi-lich from a Mind Flayer lich oh, uh, when I read about that in Volo's Guide to, or Voldo's Guide to Monsters. Um, and I was like, oh, that's, really awesome i want to put a de- i want to put a mind flare lich in my campaign um how do i get to that or how do i introduce that yeah. thing without it just being like something that's super powerful automatically right right so i have this this mind flare lich that's out there but he's been around for a long time and he's sort of ha- been inactive for the most part so he's turned into a demi lich at this point yeah but he still has goals so what are those what are those goals? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe he wants to become a god of undeath. Uh, so what is he going to do to try and get that? And he's still a demi-lich. So what, you know, what does he need to do to restore his lichdom as well? Okay, well, he's going to have these people that he is using to go about his machinations to ultimately get that goal. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they're going to you know, those people are going to have other people that they're using underneath them as well. And eventually the party is going to wind their way up to this ultimate, you know, conclusion of this adventure where we're fighting the, the, uh, the mind flayer lich in its lair, uh, and wiping it out entirely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. And that's a good, that's a good point too, of like, what's nice about, if you're if you're running a campaign in 2021 or any year after, we there are mm-hmm. so many books mm-hmm. now. Yeah, there's absolutely there's so many books uh, that you can use. I per, I love Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. It's probably my favorite book uh, that the mm-hmm. that Wizards of the Coast has released. But you can go in them and they have they have stats now for crazy world yeah. ending creatures. Uh, <laughs> yes. If you want to do a full campaign, I mean, they have Descent into Avernus, but if you want to mm-hmm. do a campaign that results in them going to hell and dealing with some of the arch devils, get more than kind of right. Tome of Foes because they have a bunch mm-hmm. of stat blocks for them. Yeah, and absolutely. I don't think any group short of level being uh, being level twenty uh, will be able to kill them. 
Like, uh, and so you can right. pick something that's like, man, that looks super cool. And as the DM, mm-hmm. you're just like, I want to run this. That's all I want to do yeah. is I want to run this. But then you can start when you've decided on what that thing is, like you were talking about, then you start mm-hmm. going like, okay, how do I justify getting them there? <laughs> right, how do I right. justify getting them there in the world? What's building up to it? Because so mm-hmm. you don't have to go through like the the main the the end villains that I come up with. I almost always homebrew. I was homebrew mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. Uh, because I also like I, I like making it that my players would have no way to guess what it is. They can't read the book and mm, find out. Nice. Uh, right, right. But that's me. You don't have to do that. <laughs> You yeah. can go to the books, you can use them, you can be inspired by them to create something. They have pictures, mm-hmm. which is awesome, and their art is always great. So, uh, <laughs> Right, yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of stuff to pull from uh, with like anything that's like CR 23 or above, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You can make your world-ending boss at the end and then start justifying, okay, how do we get there? Because I think the foreshadow is really cool. When by the end mm-hmm, you're like sure. your players can be like, oh, that's that makes sense on why mm-hmm. this quest was a thing, or why mm-hmm. this boss yep. was a thing at one point, who they were mm-hmm. working for. Mm-hmm. I think right. that's or really cool. We we found this story seed off in this place that we thought was a random adventure, but actually now is foreshadowing this other thing that we're dealing with here. Yeah, so. absolutely. So I think foreshad if you can foreshadow stuff, I think that's super fun. <laughs> Uh, yeah for sure because it keeps it keeps your players on their toes and they'll they'll start to put pieces together where they start to understand the bigger picture that's happening and by the time you get Mm -hmm. to that point where the big bad is on is on the horizon they probably already know at least elements Mm -hmm. of it the name has Mm -hmm. the name has been dropped one too many times or they're starting to find temples of something like of Mm -hmm. something related to it those are fun (laughs) Because yeah, I, I also, sure. I, I don't like the idea of you get to that final quest line and they don't know what, they're still trying to fi- put things together on it. Mm-hmm. At that point, everything needs to be on the table. The gravity of the situation needs to be taken into account. And that's when you can create like an incredibly epic uh, adventure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Funny. Uh, just uh, to give an, an example of that, something that I had a lot of fun with in my previous campaign, which was, you know, wrapping up after Descent to Avernus, um, I put Asmodeus in my game, but my players just had no idea that's who he was. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, they, they get out of Avernus and they have uh, basically... Um, Oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? I just had a total brain fart here. Oh, no. But they, oh, redeemed. They've redeemed uh, Zeriel, and oh. she has, you know, left Avernus, and she was the the uh, the archdevil there now, right? So there's all of this chaos that's happening on Avernus that is really pissing off Asmodeus. Uh-huh. Um, so the entire second, like, act of our campaign was essentially... Uh, Asmodeus taking revenge on the party because they <laughs> have thrown Avernus into chaos and now he's losing the blood war and having to figure out what to do, scrambling to make, uh, you know, hold the line there essentially. That is um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
So what I did was, you know, just occasionally when the players would be hanging out in Baldur's Gate, um, doing other stuff or, you know, other pieces of the story were uh, coming up, they would just... I would just happen to mention that there was this person who maybe walked into because they they had like a a, a a a home that they had also turned the first floor of into like a potion shop. OK, Um. so they go down there to talk to their person who's making their potions. And oh, hey, by the way, there's this person here, very sharp dressed. And, you know, he has this, that and the other. You see, he's, you know, has like this very fancy cane and these glasses and, you know, uh, I was basically describing what uh, Gary Oldman looks like in Dracula. <laughs> okay. Um, if you've seen that version of Dracula, uh, you know, when he's like in London and uh, trying to cause his own trouble there and you sort of run into him and in that he's like, you know, three piece suits and top hats and looks very fancy and all that. Yeah. That's essentially the person I was describing. Okay. To that's my great. party here. Um, and it's just like, oh, well, there's just this person in the potion shop that was there before you. So they're wrapping up with your your friend here who you know works in, in your store and they walk out. Oh, and then now we're in this there's this political intrigue thing that's been going on and the party ends up being witnesses at the trial. And oh, hey, in the in the courtroom, you glance over and you see this really sharp dressed guy again and you think maybe you've seen him before and you don't know who he is or you know whatever and they're just you know kind of leaving these clues for him and then at the end of everything every all all of Baldur's Gate is in chaos and <laughs> the blood war is like pouring out onto the streets and everything freezes and out walk from the the smoke walks this guy who they they've seen many many times up to this point but yeah. have never really interacted with and all of the players were like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> that's who that was Ah, <laughs> oh no! So it was it was a blast. It was a blast. Yeah, so, that's and, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, I'm I'm just gonna pat myself on the back here for some good storytelling. No, that's um, some so that is some that's some solid that's some solid work. I love hearing the successful yeah. uh, campaign stories from other DMs. Uh, yeah, especially with you had you had a goal in mind you had a specific entity you wanted to get to at the end this one being asmodeus or asmodeus whatever uh and so you get to drop all these hints and i don't know if you had a backup mm -hmm. plan on if on what you would have done if one person was like can i go talk with them can, <laughs> can i go talk I, I, we've seen I, that I, person i, I would have just winged it but yeah yeah <laughs> Well, it, it adds this whole thing, too, because what if they did? And then they get, mm -hmm. like, you put right. that person there. It's like their second or third time seeing them. And at a certain point, one of your players, I know my players, what, mm -hmm. they they would probably be like, okay, I feel like David is coaxing me into this. So I'm going to go talk <laughs> with them. Meanwhile, I'm like, no, For please, sure. no. It's just, it's, don't. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I really tried to only put him in when um the players had something else sort of compelling them to go away or do uh, other see. things so i didn't really give them the opportunity to explore it, it was just like oh by the way you see this guy again mm. like why do we keep seeing this person around okay oh i understand now. he was there the whole time and he was really excited <laughs> yep. to execute his plan <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 no that's that's awesome um, but <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think that brings up a good um, a good point. You know, we've talked a little bit about sort of like peppering things in and foreshadowing. When it comes to sort of playing the long game of a campaign, you know, do you have any advice for DMs as far as like how to go about ramping up 
the story you're ramping up the difficulty because it's I, I think that's something that a lot of dms and in a you know i myself as well as i've been learning how to dm have struggled with too is you know how do we keep making keep making it more intense and keep ramping up the story keep making it more difficult for our players without just you know tpk without TPK. outright as well right right i i would say i that is that is a a tough circumstance i i think the first thing you have to do is you have to take into account uh your players mm -hmm. how well does that team work together because i've been in groups where the team is not they work together but it's it could be better and so mm -hmm. they're they've kind of put themselves at a disadvantage already. But I've also been mm -hmm. with groups where the team works so well together and everyone mm -hmm. is a good complement mm -hmm. to one another. And so I have to give them even harder encounters than mm -hmm. like when I'm following the CR ratings from the books. It's like right. this is a twelve, but my players actually can take on like fifteens or something like that. Because right. they're really good at what they're doing i mm -hmm. i think first off i think terrain is a huge thing uh mm -hmm. because you can keep throwing random creatures at them but i think the terrain uh if you create it that it's a circumstance in water well now they have disadvantage on mm -hmm. all attacks uh that they do mm -hmm. if you have a very melee based party like i do for lustrodia uh mm -hmm. then that's a huge hindrance that they've gone into um, mm, mm -hmm. and so I, it really, I think it really depends on, uh, how the team works together. I think it also depends on what is the make of the group. Um, mm -hmm. so if it's a lot of spellcasters, why not put some folks in there that, uh, can potentially counter spell? Not cause you, mm, not cause mm -hmm. you want to be a brat to them. But <laughs> because I'll be, I'll tell maybe you a little I'll bit because you, you want to be a brat to them. Maybe a little bit, especially if you have <laughs> if, if you do have your own players who are who use counter spell often against your cool stuff. Sometimes you yeah, want to yeah, counter spell yeah. them, but yep. uh, or you just counter spell their healing magic instead. Oh, that'd be the no. I can't. You can't do that. That's against the law. <laughs> <laughs> Highly illegal. High, to highly illegal. Right you there. will be. You will be going to prison. <laughs> Uh, but no, I think like if you have a heavily magic based group, I think adding mm -hmm. creatures that could potentially either counter spell or create anti magic fields, uh, mm -hmm. creates a huge, uh, a huge difficulty, uh, ramp up for an encounter. Mm. Uh, so, so what you're telling me is to put, uh, a bunch of beholders in front of my players right now. Okay, <laughs> Beho got it. Beholders are there. <laughs> that's why they're a staple. They're so yeah. fun. Uh, we had a beholder mm -hmm. in our in one of our uh, in a session for Lestrodia, and it's so much fun because the players are like trying to run around the whole time uh, and get out of the cone. Get out of the eye. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you have players who've never encountered that before, they'll look at that mm -hmm, and go, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what do we do? This is impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have, if you take that into account, that's really important. But then if you also have a heavily melee focused group, then put like, if they're going to get up in melee, give them other melee folks who can also do mm. a ton of damage. 
and put them mm-hmm. in that circumstance of now they're going back and forth on like, well, do I try and dodge instead or do I try and disengage and back up? Because this guy's mm-hmm. really tough. Mm-hmm. This guy hit me for 50 points of damage with one hit. What do I do? Because that's half my health. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. That can be that can be a huge game changer. Uh, so I think you got to look at in order to ramp up difficulties, you got to look at what is the character make that you have uh, in the mm-hmm. group. But also, it, I, I really do think it, it it comes down to that of team dynamic as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, For sure. Like I throw uh, my Lestrothea group constantly uh, outshines <laughs> the ideas that I have. And to a it both and yeah. in a good way. I love mm-hmm. I love running this game, and I'm always happy when they come up with awesome plans. Uh, yeah, for but sure. so one of the things that I focused on with them as well is that well, okay, if the three of them all if it was three of them versus one big baddie, one big villain, they're probably gonna wipe that villain in like two or three rounds. A solid mm-hmm, divine, right. a solid divine smite in there. Uh, four attacks from the monk, potentially stunning it. Like they're gonna, they're gonna get rid of this thing quickly. So what you do instead <laughs> is there is the big villain that's also surrounded by their hundred or two hundred or three hundred person army. Mm-hmm, so you yeah. you can try and get in there, but on their turn you're probably dead. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) and so then you get into like there's been a lot of almost like heist uh, scenarios that we've had to go through in that campaign Mm -hmm. because I've done that to them a number of times where they're trying to infiltrate somewhere it's filled Mm -hmm. with people Um, Mm -hmm. how do you get rid of them and then they have to be creative with some of the lesser used elements that they have uh, and some of the magic items that they have how can they can't just go in there and hack and slash everything because they will die (laughs) uh <laughs> right so there is it's hard to it's hard to give just solid advice on how to be creative uh mm-hmm. but i think <laughs> I, for sure right so but i think you gotta you gotta take those elements into account and then think mm-hmm. outside of the box the mm-hmm. best case scenario for a group of melee fighters is they just get up there in front of the guy it's just them versus it and they can mm-hmm. take it out really quick if you throw in a bad area, maybe the thing is in lava. <laughs> mm. What do you do? You right. pour a bag of holding full of water onto the lava, of course. <laughs> uh, they they do right. have a bag of holding f- full of water that they constantly are like, can we use this for something? <laughs> uh, That's fantastic. Well, we have, we have one of the guys, uh, his character is a way of the four elements. Uh, okay. monk, mm-hmm. and so he has the shape water cantrip, and he's like, okay. I did put them in a scenario where they were in the underdark, and there were elements from the mm-hmm. fire plane that were uh being shifted into it. Uh, and so he was okay. like, I never want to be in a scenario where I can't have water with me. <laughs> so okay. he's like, I'm gonna buy a bag of holding, and I'm gonna fill it to the brim with water. Okay, great. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah, I was just about to ask. Actually, I was like, is that something that the par- the players created or did you give them a bag of holding and they open it up and it's 
full of water. <laughs> well, because so- that's something that I would do. Is like, oh, they put their magic items in there, and then when they go or when they drop them in there, it's like there's a splash. And like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, oh yeah. By the way, it's full of water. What so. What happened was, <laughs> so I did not come up with that. So when they when they're in downtime sessions and they are like, mm-hmm. when they're in downtime sessions, I give them the opportunity to potentially procure magic items. I typically roll mm-hmm. to see what's in the shop at the time. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the things that came up was that the lady had, I think she had like two or three bags of holding because okay. in a high magic campaign, I don't think bags of holdings are that rare. Um, yeah, not at all. And so they bought two of them and the way of the four elements monk, Nikki Elderberry was like, okay, I have purchased it. David, I would like to find a river and just put the bag of holding in front of it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> okay, sure. He literally filled the whole thing with water, and then he has a pet eel who lives in lives in the water in the bag. Excellent, yeah. excellent. My players, they're oh, like, we're we're ridiculous, and so I'm like, sure, that's great. And sometimes he mm-hmm. has some good ideas with it. So, <laughs> and that's like, you you you're messing around. You're telling the story, but you're messing around the whole time too. So. Mm-hmm. For sure. Let the game let the game breathe. Let them do these ridiculous things sometimes. Also, let yeah. I, I'm I'm a huge advocate for like <clears throat> let the players become just completely overpowered. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a for huge sure. Oh yeah, advocate. totally munchkin out the players. Yeah, oh, for sure. absolutely. Because then that means I can hit them even harder later. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like no, that's something yeah. that I I did with my my very first uh, campaign. That was the um, uh, the Atlantis one. Mm-hmm. Like I intentionally was like, yeah, I'm just gonna give them all kinds of magic items. I'm going to you know give them these you know, like things that buff them and. Uh, just make them incredibly powerful, essentially. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and yeah, by the end, I mean, we were they were like fighting gods and things <laughs> like that. So, you know, it worked out. So. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge proponent for that. And there's like there's some magic items you look in the dungeon master's guide, and you're like, man, this seems completely broken, uh, mm-hmm. and you're like, I mm-hmm. would never throw this in. I if I roll it, I'm like. Hell yeah. I'm so excited. Yep. This happened with uh my for the Lester of the campaign, they had a the bag of beans item. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, is quite a quite an item of chaos, I realized. That's uh, <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh they decided one evening well, they were about to rest and they were like, let's plant a bean here in this jungle we're in. And they did. <laughs> and a massive right. pyramid came out from the ground beneath them. <laughs> and I was like Oh uh, yes, I love the pyramid. We, one. It's so great. I was like, okay, <laughs> I we need to end the session because <laughs> I need right, to right. write up a whole different quest real quick. But mm-hmm. at the end yeah. of yeah, suddenly I have a new dungeon to create right, right now. So so at the end of it, uh, or like at the end of that pyramid, I, ro- I rolled the treasure for it. And I had rolled, and you know, it says it's like there's a mummy lord at the end of the mm-hmm. pyramid. So I'm like, holy cow, right. that's awesome. And then I rolled the treasure, and I rolled really well for it. So one in particular that they got was Darren's Instant Fortress. Ooh, nice. Which is awesome. And I also have spoken to many DMs who are like, I would never let them in my game. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's a little broken and also mm-hmm. can tr- can be used as a weapon. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, 
But I'm like, sure, let's do it. And it has added, it has been used as a weapon multiple times in our mm-hmm. campaign. It's a huge tool for them to actually rest in. But what that means is that they are so dependent on this item that mm-hmm. the very mm-hmm. thought of losing it, we went on a side quest because they did lose it at one point. Mm, nice. And so they had to go back and find it because it accidentally fell in the ocean. <laughs> and they had to go get it. <laughs> it was Excellent. it was great. So I'm a huge proponent for like let the players become overpowered because I'm already mm-hmm. thinking of encounters that uh will require will require overpowered people. Uh and mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. you become a better DM through it because the more usually people are scared to put those items in because it adds an mm-hmm. element of creativity that can potentially break your game but it only for sure it only breaks your game if you're if you're not used to improvising in those intense situations um Mm -hmm. and so i'm like bring it on let's do it i'll i'll probably mess it up but let's just try and i'll improvise (laughs) something for it and sure enough i've done i think i've done a pretty good job with these uh two recent campaigns that i've been doing Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, a lot of great advice there. And I, I think I, I'm kind of in the same boat where I, I like to let the players get overpowered because I know I'm going to throw big things at them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my, my biggest, um, concern or not concern really, but uh situation that I run into, it's like, Oh, I've, I've put something that's too powerful in front of the players at this point, And now I'm about to have a party wipe what do I do? Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. So there's there's that aspect of it as well. Uh, it's it's a balance, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to ramp the player difficulty, or ramp the player's power up, but ramp the difficulty up as well. Not get it too difficult, so you're killing all of your, your right. player characters. Well, I think that comes um, with when you're trying when you are trying to make a campaign where you're trying to take them to level twenty and all that. Mm-hmm. Typically. Mm-hmm. Like even looking at the stuff in the books, like those, it, it's hard to imagine people being able to take on some of these creatures with, uh, with just with just the progression and items presented in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. So for sure, I think when you are trying to go to that level, uh, you gotta be okay with saying, okay, I'm gonna let them become overpowered, mm-hmm. quote for overpowered sure. in some areas. Because mm-hmm. I genuinely don't think that the that they would be strong enough by the end. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'd rather not risk mm-hmm. it. <laughs> right. I'd rather give them a better right. chance. And if they are overpowered, then I will tweak some of the stuff going on with the boss uh, mm-hmm. to make it at a, lo- at a level that makes sense uh, for the players I have presented to the circumstance. For sure. Yeah, I also I want to pick something else out of uh, what you had had said a few minutes ago. There is just uh, you know how important it is to with a longer campaign to allow for downtime. Um, yeah. It's something that doesn't really get talked about a lot. I had you know Rob and I had a, a whole episode about it uh, in our first season uh, with a lot of tips on like how to run downtime. But you know I think the the importance of downtime is something that often. Uh, kind of slips through the cracks when people are talking about, you know, campaigns and the modules and and all and this and that. You know, players need time to 
uh, relax, essentially. You know, if you're if the tension is always up at a 10, then they're going to get burnout or they're just going to kind of get used to that level of tension so that it you don't really have anywhere else to go above that. Right. right. You need to have that the ebb and flow of, you know, tension versus relaxation, essentially. Yeah. Um, well, plus it gives the players a chance to impact your world more directly too. Absolutely. Uh, where things that you didn't, you didn't flesh out everything in a city. And so you give, you mm -hmm. give your players the opportunity of like, they have a ton of money. They could build stuff if yeah. they want to. My group, uh, mm -hmm. we had a, we had a downtime, downtime session, uh, a while back after the last quest line mm -hmm. and they the one of them went and built a bar slash fight club uh place nice and then there was another who ended up uh they have the, they have a pet store in the town that they uh are endorsed by now uh called mr pigman's pets <laughs> it's like the most random Excellent. most random improvised thing i had to come up with because they were like does someone here <laughs> sell pets uh and so but because of that they now have a relationship with the shop owner and one of the characters uh spent his downtime trying to figure out a way to help him and get even more exotic pets uh <laughs> and so mm -hmm. he spent his downtime he went and hired uh some rangers and went to one of the islands that they had adventured through and managed to find a way to capture and utilize some uh, some of the more exotic animals there. Uh, and so they're growing that business Very nice. that they that they don't even own. <laughs> but they get to imp <laughs> they get to impact the world now because now I have to now mm -hmm. I have to write right. in of like, okay, well this guy has access to these different animals. Now people might actually be mm -hmm. buying them. Uh, Someone's going to end up with a displacer beast and not quite know what they're getting into. Right, right. I think what I had written in, I can't remember the name exactly of them, but in Volo's Guide to Monsters is a big four-armed gorilla thing. And, oh, uh-huh. Uh, the character Osborne rolled really high for the check he made during downtime, and they managed to get a few of those. Uh, and like kind right. and kind of trained them a little bit. I'm like, okay, all right, cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, awesome. Uh, yeah, the downtime is super important, especially when you're running. The, when you get into high levels, pretty much every arc, mm. it every arc can feel like it's the end of the world at times. Uh, right, right. And so the downtime, giving them a, like a full session to do downtime, uh, is pretty important. Uh, there's a certain point where the downtime may become rarer as you go, uh, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you can still manage to get it in there. Uh, when you can and it's it still can be really fun too for sure yeah and it can give the party often like kind of smaller less important like side quests that they can run off and do as well like you know maybe we'll wrap this up inside of a downtime session with other stuff happening around it as well mm -hmm. you know I, we're not necessarily going to have a full like dungeon crawl for them to go through but you know maybe they pick up on some story threads that had been left off, you know, previously before they went off on their last adventure and now they're back home and yeah. like, oh yeah, let's, let's look into that thing. Um, and it can also provide opportunities for you as a DM to, uh, introduce bits of bits of lore or bits of, uh, like characters or organizations or things that you want to have the players pull on the, those threads again. Right. Yeah. So, um, 
it's yeah, absolutely su- super vital for all, all of those reasons that we've listed and, and probably more that we have. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, the downtime, yeah. the downtime sessions are awesome. And like, I usually boiled down their decisions to like, just a few roles that they make through it. Cause they also mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like they also know there's like a main quest line that we're going through. Um, right. If there's something that they really want to dive into, all of them collectively do, then maybe we'll go into a side quest with it. But typically, mm-hmm. I ask each of them individually, what are you doing during your downtime? And depending on what they're doing, right. I make them uh, do some checks to see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can still be really fun, That getting, getting into that more uh, detailed element of role play uh, mm-hmm. is For sure. very... It can be very fun. I know that there's some folks who are like the downtime does not sound like a good time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. But there is a way to do it well, I think. Uh, For sure. Yeah. And I, I think even if it's not, you know, things that you enjoy doing as a DM or if the party isn't getting a whole lot of out of it, then it's it's fine to sort of fast forward through that. But oh, yeah. it's still important to have some sort of break in between, you know, adventure to adventure right yeah. there's things that are going to happen in between that you need to kind of at least summarize mm. um for the party and and like you said as well it can give the uh, the players that chance to participate in the world building i like to you know rather than just having the players go and and do stuff out in the world like when they're asking me about like you know a certain shop or maybe looking for certain types of npcs or they're trying to find certain information i'll just ask the players like okay tell me what that looks like to you you know what what where are you what sort of you know business are you trying to go to what's the name of it who runs it what do they do yeah you know or is there, you know, you need a bit of lore. Is there a, you know, library that you're going to? Or is there a, you know, maybe a, a store that is like a used bookstore and you're going to try and comb through all of their tomes there to see if you can find what it is that you're looking for? Yeah. You know, just kind of putting the, the onus on the player to come up with something because I found a lot of the times that players will come up with stuff that's better than what I thought of for them um, or can think of on the spot. Right. So yeah, it just saves, saves me a little bit of mental uh, effort there for allowing them to do those things. Plus it's just fun Uh, to let the, plus it's just fun to let the player just be involved in the world you've built for them too. Mm -hmm. Like that's the most satisfying part of that, in my opinion, is when you're like, hey, what does that look like to you? And then they get to expand on the world that you've built for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just get to listen. Absolutely. And it's like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm so happy that I get to do this for them. And he's they're building something for me right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and that just gives them that much more investment into it as well, right? So yeah. if it's something that they've come up with, they're going to be that much more invested in either, you know, protecting it if they need to or going back to that as a resource. Um, sometimes you can, you know, find interesting ways to in- incorporate your own ideas into what they've they've uh, suggested, mm. stuff like that, too. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, downtime's great. I'm a huge fan of it. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I love having some just so it's it's so much more, you know, relaxed, right? Like mm-hmm. there's no the tension isn't isn't very high. You know, the party's got their big quest that they're going on, but they know they've got some time before anything's going to be important for them. Mm-hmm. They can just screw around and have fun. Yeah. Um, and those are always going to be great sessions. Yeah. Uh, for me personally and for, for, for you as well, it sounds like. Oh, so. absolutely. Yeah. I, I, they're very important for me again, because I, like I said earlier, I make pretty, uh, crazy scenarios for my players. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like in the, like in our downtime session, we ended up, uh, like we got to do a whole bunch of stuff for them. We got to mess around with the fight club that they built and everything and this grand <laughs> opening. Yeah. And then at the end of it, I was like, this, I'm very happy that we got to have this downtime because the next, at the end of the session, they accidentally got teleported to the abyss. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I was very much prepared of like, next quest line is going to be pretty crazy. Uh, so they mm-hmm. need to have a, mm-hmm. they need to have some time where they can, uh, collect themselves and do the things they want to do in the world before things get ridiculous again. For sure. Yeah. And I think uh, being able to wrap up a downtime session or, you know, even if it's multiple sessions of downtime with some sort of big cliffhanger that propels them on to the next adventure is, is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're just kind of setting that hook in to bring them along to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. I think the cliffhangers is a really important thing to be able to execute um, of just every time. That's how you, that's a good way of like keeping players interested and not getting burnt out. Mm-hmm. Every time you end, mm-hmm. there's still there's another new thing to encounter or explore. Um, For sure. That is that's something that I try to do very often. I mean, it also comes with it when mm-hmm. you're running a show, when you're running the podcast. Uh, right. Like you do keep that in mind of like if someone's listening, like a cliffhanger would be cool. But I do that for the players mm-hmm. mainly. Yeah, keep them coming back. Yeah. yeah. I do it for the players, though, because I want my players to keep coming back. They will. They love the game. But mm-hmm. also I like keeping them like they'll be texting me and like having questions about it. And I'm like, well, I can't yeah. tell you anything. <laughs> right. We'll find out on game day. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's super vital in terms of like sustaining a campaign uh, is having those moments at the end of each session to sort of hook the players in for the next session. You know, maybe it is a big tense cliffhanger or a battle's about to start and it's like, okay, well, we're going to end it here and then we'll pick up next session and roll initiative and get into this. Right. Um, absolutely a a vital tool to keep in, in your, your tool belt there for maintaining or sustaining a a long running campaign Mm -hmm. as those, those hooks. And it it doesn't always have to be like huge tension relief or tension buildup either. Right. Like, uh, my party just left Sharn, Mm -hmm. uh, in Eberron after they were there and they were, doing a, a job and got wrapped up in some of the seedy underbelly stuff of Sharn and everybody by the end of that was just like, we're just ready to leave this place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I left that session off with, okay, you're on the lightning rail and you hear the hum of the electricity and the rail starts to roll away. And 
thankfully, Sharn starts to diminish behind you <laughs> as you go away from it. Yep. So it's it can be a moment of like relieving that tension of everything that they've been through up to that point, as much as it is of hooking them in to come back for the next session. Right, right. right. So. Yeah, it doesn't have to be there's something immense at the end of each session. Sometimes right. I do that too, of like, do you guys hated this place? <laughs> <laughs> and the big cliffhanger is the fact that you get to leave. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I've, had, I've had that. And lo and behold, the path is clear and you can go away from this awful <laughs> place next time. I am notorious for like, <laughs> I will I will draw out a single day in the game over like three or four sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And it makes the game even more intense as you go through because resources become limited. But... Yeah. Sometimes I'll when they finally get to that long rest, and they're like, every time they do a long rest now, they look at me like, is someone getting a dream? Is someone gonna wake <laughs> up like freaking out? Did we actually get to rest? Right. And so when I finally say like they get a long rest, that's like the biggest thing mm -hmm. that sometimes yeah. I'll just leave it after <laughs> when they're going to bed, I'll just be like, and that's the end of the session. Because right. they don't know if they're gonna get the long rest or not. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, that's definitely a question that my party has asked me on many, many occasions. It's like, wait, did we get a long rest in? Yep. No. Nope. <laughs> and then I. No, you did and not. Then I look at one person. And I'm like, in your dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. Awesome. Well, David, we talked a lot about different aspects of. Uh, creating and uh, concepting, running, sustaining a campaign. Um, I guess, do you, do you have anything that you feel like is absolutely vital to impart to my our, our listeners here who might be, uh, you know, creating a campaign of their own that we haven't touched on just yet? I would say I, it's your game. Have fun with it. It's not just your game, too. You're... We put this labor <laughs> as a DMs into it as mm, a labor mm -hmm. of love for the the friends that we have who want to participate in it. And even if like, you know, some of the stuff we talked about today is like trying to draw inspiration from stuff and like mm -hmm. that can be hard. Not everyone not everyone can do that immediately. Too. Just remember mm -hmm. that your friends are more than thankful that you're doing this at all. <laughs> so yeah, I would, absolutely. the main thing I would encourage is like, as you're building stuff, just remember that it, you're, ha you're doing this because you care about people. You want to build something really fun with them. You're going to have a good mm -hmm. time with them and they're already going to be appreciative uh, for the work that you've done in it. Uh, so don't like beat yourself up when you hear about someone else's like crazy world or, campaign that they're going through because yours is also mm -hmm. unique yours has value to not just you the dm mm -hmm. but also to your friends uh who are blessed to be uh to have a group to have a dm that wants to run a game for them you don't have to go crazy for everything and not everyone's going to go to a level 20 campaign uh mm -hmm. I, I think that's something that i i think with like Many of the big shows out there, if you watch, if you keep up with those, uh, mm -hmm. you're going to beat yourself up a lot. And I think that's something that we mm -hmm. need to stop doing and remembering that everyone's story yeah, that they absolutely. end up coming with is uh, very valuable 
it's personal to the group and to your players uh mm. and it's you're there to have a really fun time with your friends and that's the most important thing honestly Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today, sharing your wisdom uh, with myself and, and with our listeners here as well. Uh, it's been been great getting to uh, to chat with you here and uh, get to getting to talk about, uh, you know, campaigns and uh, epic evil entities yep. and <laughs> manipulating our friends into, uh, you know, things that they don't want to do for themselves, maybe. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but I, I greatly appreciate it. And I and I do want to give you the floor now as well, just to let our listeners know, you know, all about yourself and your show, how, how to find you guys, how to you know, get in contact with you as well, if, they, if they're interested. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I will. I am always happy to talk D&D and talk about campaigns and all these great stories because it's such a fun time. So thank you again. Uh, again, my name is David Stallings. I'm the Dungeon Master for a show called Paradise Lost. Uh, there's going to be links for that in the description. But ultimately, we have a YouTube channel. We have a podcast. We run multiple campaigns. Uh, and we have a very... You can really tell that we have some good uh, community with each other. We've known each other for a long time. We're messing around at the table, and we want to be able to have other people join in with us on that. So be sure to subscribe. Check us out. Uh, we also have a Twitter uh, at, at PodLoss. It'll also be in the description, at P0DLOST. Uh, that's how folks can reach out. Let us know you're watching it and supporting and all that good stuff. Uh, but yeah, those are... Those are the main ways to reach out. And we, if you do check it out, we hope you enjoy. That's all we do it for. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, again, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on today. And yeah, listeners definitely check out uh, David's show. They've got a, a, a lot of uh, really awesome um, episodes that are up now that you can go explore and, and listen to and enjoy and, and more coming down the pipeline. It sounds like as well. So we got, go check them out for we sure. We got a lot that we're still working on. So we got, we got more stuff that we're working awesome. on and more episodes soon and more campaigns forever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Awesome. Um, yeah. And to all of our listeners here today, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, on this, uh, this journey and, and coming back every week. Um, if you, Want to get in touch with me? You can always reach me over on Twitter at 19HitsTheDragon. Uh, if you want to send an email, I am reachable via Gmail as well at 19HitsTheDragon at gmail.com. Um, but also just great if you you know leave comments, ratings, reviews, whatever you can, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and of course, tell 19 of your closest friends. Uh, thanks so much for, for hanging out today. And uh, we'll see you all next time when 19 Hits the Dragon. Bye-bye.